We begin this episode with a reading of poetry of T.S. Eliot from The Wasteland. April is the cruelest month. And that's the end of our poetry reading. But you know what? T.S. Eliot was wrong because, in fact, December is the cruelest month. And today, on episode number 269 of CXO Talk, we are talking about managing through this end of the year the human aspects of managing technology and technology people. We have two extraordinary people with us today. But first, I'm Michael Krigsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. And I want to say a thank you to Livestream, which provides our video streaming infrastructure. Those guys are great. They support CXO Talk, and I hope you support them. And if you go to livestream.com slash CXO Talk, they'll even give you a discount on their plans. My guest co-host is Tamara McCleary, who is one of the most prolific and well-known keynote speakers on the topic of digital transformation, and I'm proud and happy to say, is my friend and buddy, Tamara McCleary. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be on this episode as your co-host for uh, the CXO Talk. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm the CEO of a digital marketing agency called Thulium. And um, this is going to be exciting. I'm so glad you guys have joined us. Well, Tamara, I'm so thrilled uh, to do this with you, to, to share the hosting duties on this episode. And our guest is Minette Norman, who is responsible for the engineering practice at Autodesk. Minette Norman, welcome. This is your first time on CXO Talk, and welcome, and I'm thrilled that you're here to join us. Thank you, Michael. I'm really happy to be here for my first ever appearance on your show. And um, just a brief, briefly about Autodesk for people who don't know the company. We are a 35-year-old software company based in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we make software for people who make anything. So that can be a building, a movie, a piece of equipment. That's what Autodesk does. Autodesk has been around for a long, long time. It's how large a company is it? It's a, it's a big company, very well, very, very well established. We're about 9,000 around the world. And very quickly, uh, tell us about your, so you're the, you're responsible, you're the VP of engineering practice. And what is that, what does that mean? What do you do? My job is an unusual one. Mostly VPs of engineering run product groups. And I do not run a product group. I run a practice. So it's really, I, the way I think about it is how we develop products, how we develop software. What are the practices we use? What are the tools we use? And really, I would say the number one thing that I have been driving over the last three years in this job is what is the culture of engineering at Autodesk? And how do we break down the barriers and silos that we've built up over 35 years and actually start to work together across those barriers and create cohesive software that our customers will love? You don't normally hear that from engineering. Do you hear that from people when you talk to them? Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing is now combining uh, the engineering discipline with that recognition of culture. And, and Minette, it sounds like that's your, the core of your, your focus. Yeah, it is. When I, when I took this job about three years ago, uh, the SVP that put me in this position said, Minette, your job is to transform engineering at Autodesk. 
And, um, you know, that's a, that's a tall order. And really when I started to dig into what did that mean, it, it really did mean that we have to stop, you know, recreating tech stacks and recreating tools that everyone was doing on their own and instead come together and share knowledge and share technology and actually contribute to one another's solutions instead of building one-off solutions. So that becomes much more of a behavioral and cultural problem than it is a tooling or technology issue. So I deal with the technology, but I would say the harder part, the more interesting part, the part that gets me up in the morning is the people stuff. Well, you, you also are managing a lot of people, right? How many, how many people are in your organization? So in my direct organization, it's about a thousand people that report to me on the org chart. And then I have to influence about 3,500 engineers around the company, not all of whom report to me on the org chart. Tamara, when we, when we talk about the end of year, December being the cruelest month, what, is, what does that actually mean for you? So there's a lot going on. Um, we start thinking about people in our lives that have passed away that we care deeply for. And some of us may be having to look forward to spending time with family that also can bring its own challenges um, and difficulties within this month as well. You're managing really hardcore engineers developing an engineering product. And so, so what, what does this all mean for that human side and, and for the management of, of, such a, of such a large organization? Well, you know, I think it's interesting because when you, when you talk about these short days, I think a lot of us would love to just kind of go into hibernation and, and withdraw a little bit and, and rest and recharge our batteries at this time of year. And instead, we have these huge pushes to get things done before the holiday break. Um, Autodesk actually shuts down for all of next week. And we do that every year. And so there's this huge push to get everything done. There isn't that time to slow down and reflect. And, and you know, personally, I've just been through uh, quite a month of December. We announced a corporate restructuring just after Thanksgiving. And we've let go a number of people around the globe. And that's what I've been doing. So instead of you know, taking stock, as Tamara said, taking stock, thinking back on what I accomplished, what my team accomplished, what we should do next year. I've been so in the here and now, which has been really an emotional time. You know, letting people go is so hard. People losing their job just before the, the holidays. So I feel like I haven't had that time of reflection and of planning for next year. And we've just been go, go, go. And I think for many engineers, many people in my team, it's been so much pressure and really not had the time to reflect. So I think that's also problematic. When we don't have time to think and reflect, we just keep moving through the same things we're doing instead of taking stock and perhaps doing something differently. What are the cultural attributes that you're trying to drive and, and how do you do that? Well, I mean, I think to, to go back to my initial transform engineering at Autodesk, my charter, um, it really was about and is about for, you know, getting people to respect one another, listen to one another, and see like another person's code may be something that, okay, I didn't invent it, it's not mine, but I could reuse it, I could build on it, I could amplify it, I could enhance it, and we could make something better together. So it's really the idea of getting people to listen to one another, to respect one another, to overcome their own defensiveness, and to realize that when you have diverse minds working together and diverse personalities, you create something better than you would just an engineer sitting alone in isolation. And so a lot of it is really getting people to have those dialogues and to, you know, what one of the things we do is we put in tools that enable people to work together more easily. And, you know, we always say, 
tools last, culture first, but tools have actually helped us to, to build some of these collaborative bridges across teams because we have teams all over the world. There's no longer a clear delineation between our professional life and our personal life. Ever since, you know, we started carrying these things around with us, um, we are constantly connected 24-7. And with this level of connection comes the fact that we realize we no longer have a work time and an off time. In fact, a lot of us are on all the time. We have a, a comment from Twitter and Anurag Harsh makes the point that it's great to hear with, from a, a leader who is uh, not only focused on transforming the engineering function, but that also is a woman, which is extremely uh, unusual. And I'm sure there must be uh, a story there as well, Minette. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I'm one of the few. And um, the other thing that's interesting about my background is that I was never an engineer. I, was, I got into tech as a technical writer. And I've been in tech for many, many years. But um, I, so I don't have an actual engineering background, and I'm a woman. And when I was applying for this job a few years ago, the person who was considering me for the role said, well, I'm willing to give you a try, but you have two strikes against you that you have to know. One is you were not an engineer, and you're going into an engineering leadership role. And two is that it's a boys' club, and you are not a member of the boys' club, so you're going to have to break in. And so that was laid out on the table for me, and it, you know, it's very clear. And yet, um, I haven't had, I, I haven't, you know, this whole Me Too movement. I mean, uh, this has just been so powerful, and I can't say that I've had this Me Too moment, uh, moment that has been so horrible in my life as a woman in tech. However, it has been a journey because I just feel like we, as women in tech and in leadership roles, have to fight that much harder to be heard and to have a voice at the table. And so that's been sort of the the challenge in my journey. I know sometimes sitting in a room of 20 men and me, and just literally having my voice heard and not being spoken over. Um, that's been an interesting journey for me. You know, we do a lot of talk right now. It's been very popular this year. We've heard a lot about diversity and inclusion. Um, but, you know, talk is cheap. We're still not seeing it displayed out there. I mean, even at CES this year, there are no female keynote speakers. And you cannot tell me there aren't qualified female speakers that could be um, highlighted at CES. Um, even LinkedIn had this you know, great video go out about the future and in all of these um, uh, leaders in that, there's only one female. You know, diversity comes in many shapes and forms, more than just gender diversity. I mean, I feel your passion around this, Tamara, and I'm incredibly passionate around it because... I feel like we are barely made progress. And you know, in some of the studies, you see that the numbers of women in tech are going down and the diversity numbers are terrible. So I feel like a big part of my job, although it's not in my job description, is championing women and minorities and diversity of thought and education. And in fact, I just gave a keynote for the Society of Women Engineers at UC Berkeley. And my topic was about how you need to have a really broad liberal education in addition to your STEM education. Because I think it's actually really dangerous today how there's this sort of micro focus on everything has to be STEM and you're not getting that broad education and how that translates into the engineering world, I see this every day, is engineers get up and they try to make a pitch for what they're doing and they go straight into the details and they never see the big picture. And it's, I always ask the question of 
why? What's the context? Why are we doing something? And I truly feel that comes from having that sort of liberal education. You used to have to write these papers that explained things from a, from a big picture perspective instead of just the narrow technical focus. So I, I'm, I'm passionate about a lot of these topics and I'm glad we're talking about them finally. When I started this job a few years ago, I was overwhelmed with insecurity about the things I didn't know. And so I surrounded myself with really smart people. I asked a ton of questions. I hired some great people. I kind of went on a listening tour around the company, talking to all the engineering leaders about what their concerns were, what they needed. And so I, you know, I got a lot of context. Always context is important for me. And then um, just started chipping away at one thing at a time because we couldn't do anything, everything at once. And so you know, I made some, some really tactical changes. One is I worked with our legal department to have a better source code policy that so that our source control repositories could be more open so that engineers could have access to one another's code bases. That was an enabler for collaboration. And then we started to get onto one set of tools just so people could find one another's stuff and find information. So it was sort of a a lot of talking. I mean, I, I get up and give presentations a lot at Autodesk. I run these big engineering summits that we do every year where we bring, you know, about 700, 750 engineers from around the world together. And when I get up and talk, I always get to give a keynote because it's my team's event. I get up and speak and I never speak about technology. I always speak about human behavior and how our chat, like one year I talked about collaboration. Last year I talked about empathy. And I, you know, the night before my talk, I always get up and say, Minette, what on earth are you doing getting in front of an en a room of engineers and talking about empathy? And yet, the fascinating thing is some of the geekiest of the geeks have come up to me and said, I am so glad you're talking about this because it's really important and no one talks about it and it's a big problem. That, that is so awesome. And the reason that is so awesome, Minette, is the fact that you nailed it on the head. Like, a lot of times we think that um, you know, say, say, for example, we're talking about engineers. Engineers are people too, right? So engineers have relationships they struggle with. They have, you know, kids that are in trouble. They have, you know, aging parents. They, the strongest leaders in our entire universe are the ones that can connect to people so deeply and so intensely that they're willing to get up and go into battle for them. I'm wondering if you've got some advice, Manette, for people out there in their own organizations, how they can, maybe for 2018, look at how they can move the needle on doing something different within that culture, within that space. Yeah, I mean, and I think this is this is the journey I'm still on at Autodesk, trying to get others to understand how important this is. We we tend to intellectualize everything, especially in tech, and it's always a, a technical problem or a business problem. And I believe that it's actually all human problems and that we can solve the tech and business problems if we have better connections with the people we work with and with our customers. And so, you know, some of what I do is just try to create an environment where people can be themselves and bring their whole selves to work. And that sort of notion of psychological safety. You know, Google did that big study saying that was the number one thing that's important for teams. And I actually believe that. So making sure no one ever feels that they can't speak up or that they're embarrassed for asking what seems like a stupid question. The only way we really will succeed together, especially as we look forward to next year, is if you make sure you create that environment where 
people can bring out the ugly stuff that they don't want to talk about and we can work through problems together. What I find is when people get to that place, and it's kind of rare in the business world, but when you're on a team where people actually have that comfort with one another, they're willing to throw out those crazy ideas that often lead to some breakthrough, some innovation, or just a completely different way of thinking about things. But unless we as leaders create that atmosphere and that, that culture of comfort, um, you're never going to get the ideas, the diverse ideas, the, the way out there ideas. And so I think it's up to each of us as managers, as leaders, never to shut down an idea. You know, obviously we have time bounding that we have to do, but never make someone feel stupid or unappreciated because everyone has something unique to bring. And so that's, that's my mission, and um, I'm trying to spread that. Um, and recently I heard someone at Autodesk say, you know, well, we've done this restructuring, and we have great reasons for doing it, and it's going to make our business stronger, and all of that is absolutely true. And I said, that is true, and yet you're speaking to people's heads, but you need to speak to people's hearts. And so I think that's what we as, as business leaders need to remember too. Everyone's a human being. We all have our emotions. We all have our stuff at home. We have our stuff with our coworkers. And don't just intellectualize everything. Talk to people as humans and know that we all have feelings and emotions and we might be upset and, and let's deal with that instead of ignoring it and being afraid of it. Minette, you're managing this group of very hardcore engineers. And I would imagine among just engineers in general, there's a tendency to kind of poo-poo this side, to minimize the value of this human connectedness and culture. How do you break through that tendency in order to make people realize, make the engineers realize that this matters and we're gonna do this because it's so important. And here are the results. Yeah, you know, you would think there would be a lot of poo-pooing. Um, and I, I, who knows, maybe they're saying it behind my back, but I don't hear a lot of it. I actually hear more of the sort of, or see more of the head nodding when I talk about it. Because honestly, it doesn't matter how hardcore an engineer you are. You have dealt with a coworker who's pissed you off. You have felt disrespected. And so I think that everyone has experienced what I'm talking about. And I, I bring real world examples. You know, I'll talk to a, an engineer about a code review. You know, and how did you feel in a code review if someone just completely trashed your code? That feels terrible. So when you're reviewing someone's code, be positive, you know, show them what's good about it and then point out the things that you would change, but do it in a way that they can hear it. So I think that, you know, sometimes I have to talk very practically to someone so they understand how it relates to their work. But um, I, I have been pleasantly surprised over the past few years. I have not had a lot of naysayers. Um, and I think it's just because people realize you know, they experience it every day. And it's important for Autodesk because we're, we're going through this big transformation as most companies are of, you know, we've been a perpetual software company with shrink wrap software and now it's all cloud and, and subscription. And so everything has to feel like it comes from one company as opposed to from all these acquired companies that did things differently. So the engineers understand that there's a reason we're pushing collaboration and it's not just collaboration to be nice, it's to create a better product for our customers. So there's a real, there is a business driver and that's why we're talking about all these behavioral things. Things. Minette, I had a question for you. I was, I was just curious if you had a tradition or a ritual that you do um, as you look at the new year every year. 
I, I wouldn't say that I have a real ritual, but I do take this week, we call it the week of rest at Autodesk, which I think is a great name because we all, God knows we need rest at the end of these intense years. So I really take that week, I usually, I don't travel, I don't schedule a lot, you know, I have some family things, but I have time to, to just have downtime and reflect. And one of the things I do is I'm a big hiker. So I, I do a lot of sort of processing when I'm on the trails hiking. And I do think about what I want to do differently and maybe a few intentions for the new year. I am not a setter of resolutions, but I do like to think about what might I do differently next year and what's important and how am I going to have impact this year. So that's sort of what I'm planning for the week between Christmas and New Year's where I can just have a little bit of that that rest time and quiet time and thinking time, because honestly, none of us get enough of that during the year. I want to remind everybody that you are watching episode number 269 of CXO Talk, and we're speaking with Minette Norman from Autodesk, and Tamara McCleary is uh, my guest co-host for today. And right now, there's a tweet chat going on on Twitter, and you can join us and uh, share your thoughts and ask questions uh, using the hashtag pound, hashtag CXO talk. So Minette, what are the, the kind of challenges that you face uh, or that anybody would face when trying to implement a greater respect for this, this human dimension of managing technology and managing business? You know, I think the biggest challenge is that everyone has such a huge amount of work in front of them. And, you know, it's just the practical matter of we have software to release, we're doing a lot of changes, everyone's under a lot of pressure. And so one can forget about all this other stuff that seems like, you know, some people call it the soft skills. Well, let's, let's not worry about the soft skills or the intangibles because we have something to deliver. And I think, you know, it's just the reminder if, you know, even if I'm sitting in a meeting and someone's behaving badly, um, you know, I'll call it out and say, look, you know, I'm, I don't think you're letting someone else speak or she's, you know, it's usually a woman who's getting spoken over or maybe a, a real introvert who's not getting a chance to speak. And I'll just say, you know, let's make sure that so-and-so can be heard. So I just, I try to reinforce positive behavior and, you know, politely call it out when I see something that's not constructive. But um, I think, you know, one of my jobs is to keep talking about it because otherwise we can get so wrapped up in day-to-day -day business and deliverables and, you know, technical challenges and we forget about the behavioral aspects. So I think it's just keeping it front and center and, and not forgetting about it. Is there a sort of female aspect of this? We've been talking about women in technology or is, is, is this completely cross-gender? I would say that I've never met a man who would have brought it up the way I have been willing to bring it up. So it might be that we just feel it more deeply. We've certainly been on the receiving end of what feels like, you know, some bad behavior as women in, in as for minorities, right? We're, we're a minority in the tech world. Um, however, what I would say is the sentiments that I feel are universal. Uh, men feel the, whatever it is, you know, being ignored, being talked over, being shamed. Men feel that. But I think the, maybe it's just that women are more willing to put it out there. Um, I, do, I don't know for sure. I, do, I know we all feel it deeply. Um, maybe I'm just, in my role, I feel like, okay, I have a podium here. I have a, I have a good title. So why not use that title for good? I'm going to speak about this stuff. And I'm, you know, many of my male colleagues will talk just more about the business and more about the tech. But when I do talk to them about this, they think it's important too. 
as we become more technological, do you think that these human aspects, the, the things that you're talking about within your organization are going to become more precious and, and prized because we are sensing a disconnect in our technological world? Oh, I certainly hope so. I mean, I think that the, the human aspects are, are going to be just as important, if not more so. I mean, even as we teach the robots, even as we develop AI, we have to make sure we don't inject our own biases into, into those trainings, of course. But I think that people are going to crave this connection. I, I really feel like if, if everything is done with robots and artificial intelligence and, you know, people are just, we are human beings and we're going to want more and more of it. And so I certainly think, you know, it's, it's going to be important in the future. And I was reading a study that I don't know if either of you has read about the future of work that the World Economic Forum put out. And they were talking about the next industrial revolution in 2020 and what are the skills that people are going to need for this next industrial revolution. And it's fascinating because it's all what we would call soft skills. It's things like communication and listening and leadership and empathy. And so I was fascinated to read that list, but I also wasn't surprised because if we do, if we automate all of the manual things, what's left but, but the nuances of humans. So The Twitter CXO talk Twitter account says, has Autodesk seen specific uh, benefits based on these practices? How, what kind of measurements do you use? How do you, how do you track this stuff? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good and really hard question. That's one of the things that we've honestly struggled with is how do we track progress in collaboration, for example. So um, we've been doing some pretty cool tooling right now to be able to measure it. One of the things we've done is we're using GitHub as our repository for source code. And we're using an open source tool that we've modified to actually be able to track engineers who contribute to one another's code bases because we see that as a measure of collaboration. In the past, people would have taken another, maybe a copy of someone's code and they would have gone off and done their own thing with it and never contributed it back. Now we can see when someone has issued a pull request to someone else's code base saying, I want to submit a change. And then we can track when pull, pull requests are reviewed and accepted. So that's one way we're measuring collaboration. Another is um, just looking at our online uh, chat forums, and we have something that we've developed called the Engineers Homepage, and just seeing how much traction knowledge is getting. People are using it. People are actually helping each other answer questions. So these are some of the ways we are tracking progress. Honestly, we're not at the the be-all and end-all of tracking progress. We're not there yet. But if anyone has suggestions, I would be very open to them because we haven't quite figured out how can we measure that we have moved the needle. It's that quandary, right? How do you measure the qualitative um, that really does have an impact on the quantitative? Is there anything that you're able to share or just put out there to the audience who's watching one of those examples that you use to you know, really share empathy with your, your engineering audience? Yeah, I'm happy to. So I, I, I set up the talk in what I thought was sort of a way that would let engineers into the topic easily. So when I first started talking about empathy, I started talking about empathy for our customers, because that's something that I think it's pretty non-controversial, right? We have to develop empathy for our customers to deliver software they want. So that was my easy way in. And then I started talking about empathy for coworkers, because that's where we struggle a lot, right? Is, okay, um, we, we work together and yeah, we're ready to kill each other half the time. Um, 
um, and I, I put up pictures of like people from different departments and it's like we do this us and them thing all the time really easily like engineering will say oh it's all product management's fault and product management will say marketing you know isn't delivering what I need etc legal is stopping me from doing something so I kind of started walking down that path of you know empathy for one another and that everyone's trying to do their job but I think that the real way I spoke to people and this was what I eased into toward of at the end was telling a personal story because I think if, if you up there as, you know, whoever the speaker or the leader, if you can share that you struggle with this too, then people really get it. This is not just some BS. This is actually real. So I told a story about my, my struggles with a coworker, um, someone that I had to work with. We were peers. We had a really contentious relationship. And it was on both sides. I was not behaving well. He was not behaving well. And it came to a head one day in a staff meeting where he said something and I was criticizing and he after we had a break he pulled me aside and said Minette I feel like you are attacking me all the time and I said well you know that's not my intent I have good intent and uh, I said but the, the problem is I feel like you have absolutely no respect for me and you totally disregard everything I say and the story I told which is true is that at that moment kind of the worst thing for a woman at work happened which is that I started to cry and you know that's embarrassing when you're at work and I, I hesitated whether to tell that story but the fact that I told a huge audience that I had burst into tears at work in front of a colleague and yet the, the positive outcome is that was that we saw each other as human beings probably for the first time and we were able to really move forward in a different way and have a completely different and constructive relationship but it kind of had to get to that breaking point and so what I was telling people that story for is that okay I've experienced it I know you've had it maybe you didn't cry but you got pissed off or you walked away and the only way we can work together is to actually work through some of that difficult stuff so that's how I talked about it. And um, many people, men, women, came up to me and said, I'm really glad you told that story because I've, I've dealt with something similar. I think that there's so much power in vulnerability and your willingness to share and be transparent in that way. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, at some point we, we, you know, we started to think of strength as being swallowing um, our emotions and cutting ourselves off. And, when we do that, we've cut ourselves off from our creativity. And what is it that we all want most is we want to be creative in our jobs. We want to be agile. We want to be, um, you know, thinking outside the box. And you can't do any of that when you are um, basically blocked off from yourself, shutting yourself down. And you can't be open and creative and at the same time, you know, shutting those pieces down. So. I think it's just been incredible how you're really encouraging your team to open up. Yeah, I think it's, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown and all her work on vulnerability. And I, I do see it, you know, I, I think earlier in my career, this would have horrified me, you know, to, to cry in, at work or any of those things. But now I really feel like, look, I'm human and it's not embarrassing. This is just, it's actually good that I have a heart and that I care. And I do think it is more emotion as strength as opposed to emotion as weakness and yeah I don't want to be crying at work all the time nor do I but if it happens there's a good reason for it right and that's nothing to be ashamed of and you know getting angry you know the same thing so it's just that we are human and and I don't think we should be ashamed of those emotions and so I'm trying to model that for for my team. Michael I wanted to know Michael have you ever cried on this show? Have I ever cried on this show? No. 
No, no. Okay, then, then that's my next job, right? To, to get to that vulnerable, peel the onion layers back off of Michael Krigsman to show <laughs> the real softy inside. I'm pretty soft inside, but if, if you can get me to cry on this show, uh, I'd be a, that would be an interesting conversation to have. So that's a challenge for you. All right. I, I will take you on that challenge, Michael Krigsman. <laughs> All right. Well, we are literally just out of time. And so, Manette, just as we close very, very quickly, I want to come back to the business benefits. So, so you are really pioneering this, this kind of human-focused way of managing with making the vulnerability come more to the surface and more acceptable. What are the benefits? What have you seen? And maybe we can finish on, on that. I think the benefits are that when people can be themselves and can be vulnerable, they are willing to share their crazy ideas. It's kind of what I said before. I really think the benefits to a business are that you will be more innovative because you will get everyone, you know, this diverse population of different diversity of thought, diversity of background, you will get those ideas and you will actually be able to move farther than you could if you just had kind of groupthink and everyone going in the same direction. And so I think, you know, my, my thought for the new year really around this is that if we can really embrace the individuals and their own personal brilliance and allow them to thrive and flourish, the business will do better. And so that's, that's my goal for 2018 is to make sure everyone that I'm surrounded with can be themselves and bring their best selves to work. Well, that's a pretty inspiring story. And unfortunately, this has been a very, very fast 45 minutes, but we're out of time. Tamara, this, it's been a very, very inspiring, hasn't it? I cannot believe. I absolutely love you, Minette. You're uh, you're an inspiration. You're an inspiration to everyone, but you're also an inspiration to women in tech and um, to those that know they can bring their whole selves to to the office. And um, thank you so much for being so willing to be vulnerable here on CXO Talk. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And everybody, you have been watching episode number 269 of CXO Talk. Thank you to Tamara McCleary, my guest co-host for today. And thank you to Minette Norman from Autodesk. There's not going to be any show next week or the week after because of Christmas and New Year's. But on January 5th, we are back with David Bray and Anthony Scrifignano, who is the chief data scientist at Dun & Bradstreet. And we'll be talking about data for the new year. Everybody, thank you so much for being here today. And I hope you have great holidays and we will see you very soon. Bye-bye.